Hello and welcome to the Geek's Danny Boyle Retrospective Podcast, where our UK team will be looking through the entire cinematic work of director Danny Boyle in chronological order, from his 1995 debut Shallow Grave to this year's Trainspotting 2. We'll have a new podcast up every Wednesday and every Saturday leading up to the US release of T2 on March the 17th. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout, and Geeks and Tessellate do not represent any of the companies or creative talents involved with any of these films. This podcast is 100% unofficial and independent. Geeks! Geeks! Hello and welcome to episode 8. No, wait. Seven. 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 Every time I get it wrong. <laughs> Every fucking time. Siete. Episode seven of the Geeks Danny Boyle Retrospective Series. We are on to Sunshine. I'm your host, Al White. Joining me for our all 12 Danny Boyle films in the lead up to Trainspotting 2's release in America. Harukabe. Alison Holland. Hello. Hello. Hi, hi. We are now two thirds of the way through the Danny Boyle Retrospective. Wow. We've come very feel? far come a long way mm. <laughs> i do feel it is like um you guys get anything out of the watching a director particularly someone as you know he is i feel he is an auteur like i feel like he has recurring themes and he has a recurring vision and he's certainly critically appreciated enough mm-hmm. and he's done enough sort of important works to be called an auteur do you is, do you find it interesting like going from film to film i find it fascinating as mm. well. yeah definitely even in terms of wondering, why did you do this one? <laughs> why did you do this one? <laughs> <laughs> Which are you talking one. about? I don't know, Alison. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously my favorite one so far. <laughs> well, it's got a kid in it. <laughs> and it was funny and stupid. So it's got to be your favorite. <laughs> was Should we have our, our quote of the episode? <laughs> I don't know. What is the quote of the episode? You watched me write it down. Oh, at if, the end of our last last podcast. Yes, if you listened to Millions and heard the quote of the episode from Al White regarding my taste. Here's good. another quote regarding my <laughs> taste from Al White. <laughs> and I quote, I know you and you like trash. <laughs> <laughs> End quote. <laughs> I'm sure that's all anyone needs to know about you. <laughs> I'm sure everybody listening wants to meet me now. Look, you haven't shared many films with me other than Elf. I did not share Elf with you. I walked in and was told, tonight we're watching Elf and Buffalo 66. And I said, okay. This is not how I my did not share that with okay. you. You can keep blaming it on Jenny, but I feel it's your fault. She's the one who <laughs> decided we were watching that. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, fuck you. Elf we're, is a great film. Oh, fuck, just both of you get the fuck out of here. Santa! <laughs> Sunshine, 2007, directed by, of course, Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland, one of Haruka Abi's favorites, Alex Garland. So you'll know him if you're listening to this podcast from The Beach. He wrote the novel and he wrote the screenplay for 28 Days Later and later on went on to adapt Never Let Me Go and Dread Ex Machina. And now Halo, which I'm still excited about every time I look at this, he's, he's writing Halo again. I don't think that film's ever going to get made. But Oh, that's the video game one? Yeah. yeah. Right. It's one that Steve Spielberg and Peter Jackson were trying for like 10 years with, right. um, what's his name, Neil Blomkamp, to make it. Oh, and they kept I... not getting enough money. They needed like 200 million and wow. no one would give them that for a computer game movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, so who knows. Starring Killian Murphy, Rose Byrne, Chris Evans, Michelle Yeoh, Troy Garrity, 
Hiroyuki, Benedict Wong, Cliff Curtis, uh, anyone else I need to mention? Chipo Chang! Oh, of course. Yep, Chipo Chang. I love you, Chipo. <laughs> um, loads of great people in this film. And I shall get into that a little bit later. Cinematography and music and stuff like that we'll do later. Um, so 2007 is when this movie came out. Which was, I want to see, what was the gap for him? I feel it was a, for once a little bit of a gap. 2004 was... Yeah, you had a three-year three year gap for him. Um, which gave him some time to rethink yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what he had done with millions. All of his other ones were such quick turnaround times. Well, I, I guess this one, to know. for this one, I'm sure the post-production took a while. Mm. Yeah, um, that's so true. That's, there's that. You also have to appreciate it. for most people they didn't realize millions happened. So you're talking mm. about a five year gap between yeah. 28 Days Later and Sunshine. Right. So I remember when he came back, I was thinking, of, oh yeah, Danny Boyle. And people were not forgotten about him, but he certainly couldn't ride on that, you know, that wave of mm. being present in popular culture anymore. Mm. So it was a bit more of a, he had to prove himself again, mm. I felt. Uh, other films that came out in 2007 No Country for Old Men, There Ooh. Will Be Blood, some serious films, Super Bad. Do you know Ratatouille, yeah. oh. Zodiac, Death Proof, The Orphanage, my personal mm. favorite horror movie of all time, and the beginning of what would become the Transformers debacle. Oh, so, <laughs> okay, so both good and bad debacle. Good and bad happened there. Yeah, I like yeah. to highlight, yeah, both sides of the coin. Fair enough. Oh, here we go. So, Haruka. Yes. Uh, you have famously said on this podcast a few times yes. that this is probably your favorite Danny Boy film. It's definitely... It has always been my favorite Danny Boyle film okay. and one of my all-time favorite films. Okay. And yeah, I think I... Don't reveal... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, mm, okay. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. She did start reciting the, <laughs> the, the script yeah, before the, yeah. the movie. I'm so even sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. She threw her hand person. over her sorry. mouth. Well, I was that person. <laughs> for one the, sentence. Yeah, sorry. That was awful. It's when you're Sorry. in a cinema and you sit next to someone who's just yeah, saying every line oh before God, it yeah. happens on screen. <laughs> Ali, as with all Danny Boyle films other than Slumdog, I'm guessing this was your first trip? Correct. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yep. Um, I'd seen it a couple of times. I saw it in the cinema when it came out, and then I saw it again on DVD or whatever at the time. But I haven't revisited this. It was it 2007, and maybe eight years. Maybe a bit eight years, I think, probably. Eight or nine years. So it's been a while. <laughs> um, oh, you're looking perplexed. What's yeah, it? no, I, I'm quite surprised that it was 2007. It feels like it was, I saw it before that, but apparently not. Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid that option was not available to you. <laughs> um, so we are going with a plot summary today for our brief summary uh, from IMDb. This is from a guy called Tennis Jazz. Tennis ah. Jazz. Spaceship Icarus One failed to kickstart Earth's dying sun back into action and disappeared. Icarus 2 carries the last available nuclear super bomb on a mission to try again. The navigator's oversight causes serious damage to the ship, yet returning is no longer a hope, so the mission is dubious. What he actually wrote is, the mission, dubious. <laughs> <laughs> Having picked up Icarus 1's emergency signal from Mercury, they decide to try to pick up its bomb. That side trip comes at a high cost, but an even worse surprise is lurking on board. <laughs> Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. Um, yeah, there you go. There's, a, there's an interpretive summary. <laughs> some true, some not. <laughs> um, so what it does fail to mention is, yeah, well, because the star is dying, Earth is 
uh, in another ice age, essentially. But they don't really touch on that until the end, do they? Did they mention it at the beginning? Um, in Killian Murphy's monologue, they kind of mentioned. Does allude yeah. to that? Then. Okay, good, good, good. Um, all right. Let me get some more facts together here. So this was uh, the cinematographer of this was Alwyn H. Kulcher. Kutchler, Kutchler, how you pronounce it. Who, as you um, pointed out, Haduka. No, you didn't. You're wrong. I'm He's wrong. a new one. He is he? a new one indeed. So he did Morvan Kala, um, which I'm a big fan of. He did Code 46, which I believe one of the other writers of a Danny Boyle film had written Code 46. Mm. And, uh, I think actually of Millions. Um, he did Solitary Man. He did Hannah after this. He also did mm. Divergent. And he joined up with one, only one more time with Danny Boyle to do Steve Jobs uh, mm. so far. Um, and then, of course, we have music by John Murphy. And one of your uh, favorite. Oh, yeah, and, and Underground as well. And Underground, right? yeah, yeah. Not listed on IMDb, though. Just John really? Murphy. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, who, of course, uh, did 28 Days Later. Also, yes, did Millions, which is <laughs> strange. Um, went on to do Basic Instinct 2. <laughs> uh, and then 28 Weeks Later, uh, Kick-Ass, and hasn't actually done much recently. Um, so there you go, there's some of the talent behind this. Let us get into the minutia, shall we? Um, so I have just written down my personal notes. I'm going to go through the Wikipedia once more for the proper plot synopsis. It is 2057. The sun is dying and the earth is freezing. A crew of eight pilot, a, col a crew of eight <laughs> pilot, a colossal nuclear bomb aboard the spaceship Icarus 2 with the intent to jumpstart the sun and return to earth. As they pass Mercury's orbit, Icarus 2 discovers the distress beacon of Icarus 1, the first ship to attempt their mission, which disappeared seven years earlier. Reasoning that two bombs... Well, this is a, they're really fucking jumping right in there, aren't they? That's too much. We don't need to get there yet. Let's just start from the beginning. All right. <laughs> we have eight people on a ship. So what I think is notable here is, uh, first of all, we have the 20th Century Fox logo. As we were remarking, like it does the cool thing where they get to like add to the animation and turn it into the first shot of the film, and mm -hmm. you get to see over the Hollywood Hills and then the sun rising, and then it turns into the sun in the film, and then it turns out it's not actually the sun, it's their ship with the reflective shield that mm. makes it look like a sun, mm -hmm. which I really love. I think it's a really cool, elegant, bold opening, mm -hmm. and it looks like a dilating pupil mm -hmm. when it gets yeah, like yeah. framed with the sun at the end. Mm -hmm. Love it. Um, and you do start with a VO. Yep. from Killian Murphy but it's very somber for once there's no energy to it um, and the whole beginning of this film is droney not sinister but definitely somber music and gets under your skin a little bit and there mm. isn't yeah there's no energy it's very slow um, very traditional 2001 style yep. kind of open well, not, yep. not like the opening of 2001 but yeah very drifting um, how's that work for you guys because it's a very different start I think for a Danny Boyle film even with something like, even with millions, he was always like energy, energy, energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You still have the voiceover, which he seems to like. Um, I mean, I think it works for this. I like starting on a dark, somber, mm. slow note. I mean, it's probably the only serious, serious Danny Boyle film we've got so far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, you know. Heroin's yeah, think... not serious enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as in like yeah. serious as in like mm. it's a much more somber film yeah than yeah. anything else he's done so um yeah 
I don't think it would have worked if it was an energetic yeah. opening. Okay, okay. Unless, yeah. The only chaotic thing that I could imagine him opening with would be like what he did in train spotting where you start with a chaotic moment and then you don't find out that that is has not already happened you come mm. back to it later yeah right. but it's hard when you're in space because you're starting with them in space you don't get them taking off or you don't get the mission mm-hmm. briefing or anything other than killing the vo um and in space it's kind of well it's a lot of waiting and it's a lot of tedium yeah and if you have action in space, it's normally not a good thing. True. <laughs> so if you started true. in energy in, in space, it means bad stuff's already yeah. happening and you need yeah. to build to that. I so. mean, the fact that they name their mission and spacecraft Icarus is kind of a, mm-hmm. a sign that things aren't going to Icarus go well. It's a really Icarus. dumb name for a ship <laughs> is. that you're hoping is going to be successful yeah, in a sun mission. Yeah, because if there's one um, lesson we learned from the Icarus story is don't fly into the sun so yeah. yeah but still it's a cool name but i wrote that down as well what i think is more important about that is that they call it icarus 2 which um you learn very early on and i feel the opening particularly that opening shot and then at first diatribe is it's really showing us the majesty and the danger of the sun because mm. it's really important for the entire film that you understand the lure of it yeah because people are constantly entranced by the beauty of it but also how dangerous it is constantly in that you know how you know very quickly we're well, actually the first proper scene is in the observation deck and you, mm-hmm. we realize that he's only at two percent watching the sun mm-hmm. and if you went to 3.1 you're gonna, yeah um and calling icarus 2 immediately lets you know oh there was, there was a, a mission like this before that went one. bad um, which i think is really important to immediately put oh, yeah. some sort of creepiness into Absolutely. the movie and then in the very first scene with them you also get a conversation about we're about to be cut off from communication so you haven't really even got introduced to anybody yet and you immediately dropped into this kind of, yeah, cut off, isolated world with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly, before we do move on, the film cost $40 million to make. Wow. Uh, which is a modest budget for a film that looks this good in 2007, but mm. still, um, I'd have to fact check, but I'm almost 100% certain the most expensive movie he's made. Mm. Um, and it ended up making $32 million worldwide. Oh, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sad. Domestic, only three and a half million. Really? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Made twenty eight and a half uh, foreign. Um but again, um, you know, we don't have figures for the DVDs and Blu rays and digital and all that stuff. Mm. Um but yeah, not a not a blockbuster success by any means with how well it did. Critically it did well though. This was a like not to the levels of train spotting or anything, but right. it was a very well loved and appreciated film. Okay, mm. so Characters. We have... Kappa. We have Kappa. Mace. Who's the uh, physicist? Yep. So he is a, our lead, I'm guessing. Yes. Would you say he's our lead? Yeah. Because this is a question I do have. It's an ensemble cast. And the first character you're actually introduced to is... Um, what's his name? Uh, is that Troy Garrity? Is that his name? No, that's the second in command, isn't it? The uh, Doctor. Yeah, Cliff Curtis. Yeah, Cliff Curtis playing Searle. He's the first one you're introduced to in the observation deck. Um, but then you quickly feel like Kappa is your lead. Is that just because he's doing the VO, do you think? Or it is him doing the VO, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and because we know Killian Murphy from previous Danny Boy films, mm. you kind of <laughs> feel like he must be the lead. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Hiroyuki in this film. I think mm-hmm. he's great in it. I really do. Yep. I think he actually does some of the best acting. We have a... Not a, not a really, really young, but pretty early Chris Evans in mm-hmm. this as well. 
um, who still holds the camera very well, does mm-hmm. heroic very well. Yep. Um, and Rose Byrne, who doesn't do much in this movie, but I do like her a lot. Yeah, yeah. She, when she's on screen, she does hold it very well and conveys her vulnerability. And yeah, she's the voice of humanity. Isn't yeah, she, she's the, the caring one. Then. Yeah. And then we've got Michelle Yeoh. Who's adorably attached to her plants, <laughs> and yeah, Chipo Chang. Is that you say? Chipo, yes. Chipo Chang. Um, great. So, do we like this as an ensemble? Does it take you time to get into them? You know, are you immediately giving a shit about any of these protagonists? Because I've written down here, what's interesting is like they give you, um, uh, where is it? Yeah, they give you tension, they give you drama, and they give you some humor mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm. But you don't actually learn anything about people's back histories. You don't learn if there's any romantic or sexual tension on board. Yeah. They leave personality, a little, well, in, in personal relations and history and stuff, a little bit on the back burner mm-hmm. and just kind of work on the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Does that work for you guys? It works for me just because I think that's what you would have to do in that situation because when you go out there, if you're focusing on relationships, then you're not doing a good job. Mm. So it kind of like Rose Byrne's character is seems to be the only one who has any, you know, the hum- she brings out the humanity, which feels like a weakness when you see it. And it hurts to think of that as a weakness, but that's, mm. you know, when you're, everyone is sacrificing everything pretty much. And at some point they all know, okay, none of us are going to make it. So mm. they decide, all right, I'll go now so that you guys can go do this to get us to this point and then this person's going to move forward and mm-hmm. do that and eventually yeah. we won't make it back but hopefully we'll accomplish what Icarus one did not accomplish mm. and also you know just because we don't learn much about the characters backstories doesn't mean that like for example you can tell that all the characters are quite vulnerable and you know they they have these interesting dynamics where like Kappa's fighting um what's his name um Chris Evans yeah. character mm-hmm. quite early on because he didn't get to speak to his family before he yeah. got cut off because of Kappa blah, blah blah so I think they do establish um tension. yeah tension and dynamics and the vulnerability and stuff quite well even though we don't learn too much about the characters okay is Kappa your favorite character in this um I know you have a bit of a cross on Killian Murphy. <laughs> that <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Um, I don't know. I like all the characters. They're all very interesting. Very okay. different. That was something I was really pondering on this time was, like, I really like Hiroyuki mm-hmm. and I really like Roseburn. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a Kappa in this time watching it. I don't remember not liking him mm-hmm. in previous viewings, but this time I really didn't like him. I found oh, him really useless. Like, mm. he didn't... He He's very... He just, like... It's, it's like, for me, it sums him up in the scene where they realize one of them has to put on the suit and they only have one suit. Mm-hmm. And then you cut and he's just quite happily laying them <laughs> on him. He just, it, he seems to be a complete wimp with no conviction, but not in a mm. way that I can get on board with, you know? It's mm-hmm. not in the kind of way of, oh, I can identify with him because he's human yeah. and vulnerable mm-hmm. and a bit weak. Um, Rose Byrne, however, like I really, this time was the time I really, really was really like, I'm really interested in her character and Hero's character. And mm-hmm. I don't, I wasn't getting enough of them this yeah. time, mm-hmm. um, which is always interesting in a in a group sort yeah. of dynamic. Because yeah, this lead guy uh, at the beginning of the film, I don't I get enough of him. I get enough of Chris Evans. I can't like Chris Evans is an, a necessary character, but I don't I'm not going to get on board with him. Sure. 
Um, you know, I remember when I first watched it, I remember quite liking Cyrian Murphy's character because he's really vulnerable and yeah, he's quite passive in the film, but I thought he's quite interesting. And then I remember because when I first watched Sunshine, I didn't, I wasn't aware of um, Professor Brian Cox's work. Mm-hmm. So when I first watched Brian Cox's show, I was thinking, oh, he looks quite like oh, right. Murphy in okay. Sunshine. And then <laughs> I realized that he actually, um, he was the scientific supervisor on Sunshine. Oh, really? And yeah. he did a lot of like, he talked a lot with like Killian Murphy and stuff. So oh. I'm guessing like he based his character that. a little bit on him. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that at all. That's interesting. They have the same hairstyle and stuff. Yeah, that is true, because he does have a funky hairstyle. I kept thinking Daniel Ball just likes his characters have weird, either no hair <laughs> or weird hair. And he does it both with Chris Evans in this, because Chris Evans starts with weird hair, and then suddenly he's shaved and looks like trained spotting and looks like <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever the other film was we just watched where he shaved his head as well. Um, I do like how we are gradually and patiently shown around the ship. They show us the oxygen farm, the kitchen, the observation deck, the holographic chamber, and the mm. coolant tank. Mm-hmm. And they do it all quite naturally in the first five minutes. Mm. But just so you know, all these locations are going to be important mm-hmm. later on, and we're going to use all of these. And you can immediately tell just like they have to show him putting his hand in the coolant mm. tank. So you know, okay, someone's going to have to go in the coolant <laughs> tank at some point. Because <laughs> they've please. shown to you, look, it's painful. <laughs> but they do it in a really nice way yeah. that I appreciate. Um, and yeah, you get a bit of information straight away because yeah, like you say, Killing Murphy is leaving a um, message for his family back home, or his sister, before they go out of communications. And he lets us know as well that it takes eight minutes for light to travel from the sun to earth um, and to look out for that little extra brightness in the sky to know that things went well with the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, the, I tell you what, the first thing I don't like about this movie is the horrible Matrix Stark re-backdrop to the video right. messages <laughs> system that they use. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Interesting. And then they bring yeah. it back again at the end once you're watching it. But yeah. And I might be biased, but I love Icarus. Um, and I love the fact that she's part of the crew rather than yeah. just shit, which is, you know, it's not unusual for a sci-fi film. It's been done. Yes. But I still, you know, love it. And yeah, cheaper will. Well, they give, they give her... Um, they give her a bit of a sinister bent, which yeah. you're used to in this stuff, but which then means you're you're waiting for those typical tropes to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, she's going to fuck them over, right? And she never does. Yeah, true. like she doesn't actually, um, yeah, mess them around. So there's one point where she sort of does, but she just follows protocol and she still yeah. gives them the opportunity to reverse that. Yeah. And can I also add that I know the actress who played um, Icarus, um, Chippo, and and I've always loved this film. And when I first worked with her. I learned that she was the voice of Icarus and I got really excited, obviously. And um, <laughs> she told me all these like little stories about it. And she told me that Danny Boyle actually had her on set to interact with the actors oh. rather than oh. um, recording the voiceover separately, which I thought That's was great. a great way of oh, for sure. filming because it's such a huge, you know, big part of the... Yeah. And it's very yeah. conversational the way they talk, which is... Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. So, yeah, they find out they get a distress speaker from Icarus 1. Um, and we just have it playing again now in the background. And I actually forgot how, even just watching it, I forgot how early on in the film that is. It's kind of immediately mm. they yeah. get that distress beacon. Uh, reasoning that two bombs have a better chance of success than one, physicist Kappa recommends Captain Kaneda change course and com- commandeer Icarus 1. Mace, the ship's engineer, opposes the deviation as risky 
navigate a tray, calculates a trajectory to intercepts Icarus 1, but forgets to realign the shields that protect the ship from the sun, causing damage to several shield panels. I do find it confusing that he's called Kappa because you keep having Chris Evans, who I'm used to being called Cap, calling Cap <laughs> to someone else. <laughs> which was weirding me out a little bit. Mm. Uh, Kaneda and Kappa embark on a spacewalk to make repairs, assisted by pilot Cassie, who angles the damaged portion of the shield away from the sun. The angle, however, allows the sun to destroy the ship's oxygen garden and oxygen reserves. As Icarus 2's autopilot returns the shield to its original alignment, Kaneda orders Kappa to safety and repairs the last panel, moments before he's immolated. Interesting word. <laughs> Trey blames himself for the loss of Kaneda, and psychiatrist Searle assesses him as a suicide risk, sedating him. Um. What? So, what do you get with this whole like? Because Canada and CS is that Seal. Seal. Oh no. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Seal. Uh, they're they're both obviously entranced by the observation deck and by the sun. None of the other crew seem to be remotely interested in it or bothered with it. Yeah. Um, I'm just interested in like what it is. A like why that's there. Why that's so. Like why Alex Garland found that something he clearly wants to get across in, in the film mm. is like how yeah i don't know bewitching i guess the sun mm-hmm. is and and be like what it is about their characters that means that they would be the two that would be you know is it just it happens like two out of eight people or whatever would <laughs> like potentially be into this or because i kind of get it with the with seal, seal sorry i forget i don't know how to say his name with that yeah. character is that we're it? first introduced to uh, so it's 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 S E A R L E. So yeah, I think just mumble. I sort of get it with him, Captain Canada. I find it a little bit stranger. But his Japanese and you know it's all like philosophical and like Zen and like life, death, danger, beauty, whatever. So I thought that was his thing. That was he's Japanese, so he's got to be meditative yeah, about like the sun. finding beauty in something so dangerous and deadly yeah. kind of thing well the know. two of them have that relationship with the sun and then killian and rose's characters both talk about how they have nightmares pretty much the same dream That's about true. being on the surface of the sun yeah which is a little less peaceful than yeah <laughs> yeah they're they're definitely more terrified yeah by the sun than the other yeah two okay interesting um does he have to die? I get a bit confused in this scene sometimes. Like, because I don't know what... Because, you know, Canada like, says, like, you go, I'll stay. Mm-hmm. But then he doesn't seem to really do anything. I think he, he, fin- he, he closes the, the last panel, yeah. I feel, because it goes on for a while, that scene, I feel he has about as much time to get away <laughs> as Killian Murphy does in that scene. Maybe. It's maybe. very dramatic. But it's the whole point meant to be he's actually embracing it and kind of just... In a Japanese way, gives himself over <laughs> to the beauty of the sun. And also, like he can't risk Killian Murphy because he's the only one who can operate the payloads. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, maybe yeah. he didn't know that he was actually going to die, but still, it's better to be safe than sorry, kind of thing. I, I feel they should have taught other people how to operate the payload, considering yeah. <laughs> it's the last chance of humanity. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate only a physicist could maybe calculate an alternative mm, way mm-hmm. to detonate the payload. But since considering in the end, he kind of just pulls a bunch of switches and throws a lot. I feel there could be a manual for that. Maybe. Very true. And, you know, all the all the other members of the the crew are also very smart scientists. Yeah. Yeah. So they could have probably... I feel like learned. everyone should understand how to do <laughs> everyone else's job just in case of yeah. death. 
And do they have mm. a um, who's the medic on board? The soul soul. soul. Oh, that is soul. soul. Okay. okay, okay. <laughs> um, so then Icarus two docks with Icarus one, Kappa Soul, Mace, and now Captain Harvey, who seems to just appear out of nowhere. I did notice yeah. him in the background <laughs> in a few scenes. Like, oh, I, I kept seeing him. He's not saying anything when they're all looking at the beauty of the sun at one point or something. What is it looking at? Yeah, they're Mercury. looking at Mercury. Yeah, he's the only one looking down and not paying any attention. Yeah. Um. And I kept thinking, oh, he's clearly the expendable one. He's there just to get killed and to die <laughs> at some point. Nope. And then he gets promoted to captain. <laughs> I was like, where the fuck did he come from? He's the telecom officer of the ship or something. Telecom officer of the ship. Would that make you second in command? I don't know. I don't know I about don't that. Know. I thought Chris Evans would always be second in command. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, leaving Cassie and Bodinus Corazon on board Icarus 2. They discover Icarus 1's mainframe has been sabotaged making its bomb delivery impossible in the ship's log is a rambling message from captain pinbacker great name <laughs> who abandoned his mission the crew of icarus one is found charred to death in the solar observation room where they were long ago exposed to the unshielded sun are we meant to get from this that pinbacker tricked them into this or are we meant to get that they all committed suicide from desperation of waiting or i don't did he do that to keep more oxygen for himself i don't uh, really know how we're meant to interpret that yeah i think i had assumed suicide but but not pinbacker yeah mm. or did he survive was he in it and he survived it because he is completely charred or is that just meant yeah. to be for seven years of being in that proximity there. to the sun or constantly going into that room again and again and again yeah mm. i find it but like they have the oxygen room yeah yeah, they have a lot. I mean, they have a lot of plants, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah, mind it being confusing, but I'm definitely yeah. confused as to what happened on yeah. Icarus 1. Yeah. I, I assume that it was a suicide thing, but then again, I guess it's open to interpretation. Because it's, yeah, I think the question is like, did he go crazy before they died? Or and after then they realized they there's no. Yeah. Well, be was he just like on having a shower or something or on the toilet when they all decided to do this <laughs> and he came out? I was like, you know sake, guys. <laughs> He's like, God damn it. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting point because I don't know at which point Pimbaka started to get enchanted by the sun. Yeah. So, yeah, it could have been after his crew yeah. killed themselves, I guess. Because I feel it could have yeah. been from loneliness. I feel it's also interpreted, yeah, that he could have tricked them into it. Like, mm. I thought there's a whole bunch of... Yeah. It's also because he has the quote where he said, in his recording, he says, it's not our place to challenge God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he could have easily just gone... I think I w I'm assuming that he went a little crazy mm. and and then sabotaged everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you get our, we get our first glimpses of him, albeit all sort of digitized, mm -hmm. um, with his sort of charred, bloodied, Freddy Kruegery sort of face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is he spooky? I think it, the spookiness of it comes from not ever fully seeing him. Okay. Or seeing mm. a distorted version. Luca. Um. Not. Really? Not really. Not really. <laughs> but do you like him? Do you like his character? What? Do you do like I, his character? Do I like, like his character? Like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like the way he was introduced to it. Um, not necessarily the way his, you know, character not develops, but yeah, yeah goes well, about. Do. But that's a yeah. We'll get to okay, that. We later. will get to that for sure. Yeah, I'm just interested because I have, I have a um, not a theory at all, but something that for me with this stuff makes something work and not work. Um. And here I do have yeah, a lot of my problems in this film actually come from him um, and his character, but yeah, we'll get to it later. Uh, suddenly, the two ships explosively decouple. That's a great sentence. 
Explosively you ever break up, up in a re- relationship? <laughs> uh, destroying Icarus One's outer airlock, stranding the four crew members on it. May suggest one crew member stays behind to manually operate the airlock, while the other three jettison between airlocks using the vacuum release for propulsion. Seal volunteers to stay behind. Capra is sealed in the only spacesuit quite willingly. <laughs> while Harvey and May Did they write that, or is that you adding that? that was in? Me adding. <laughs> It's when the it was when the new Captain Harvey or whatever is like just shouting at him to get out, and he doesn't even say anything. He just looks at him. Yeah, he just <laughs> stares. He's like, "Fuck oh. you! I'm staying in here." He looks really awkward about yeah, it. Really like, awkward about I don't it. know what to do. Yeah. But it's partly the suits that make him look awkward about it as well, because the suits are weird, and you yeah. just told us some information about yeah, them. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> um, when they were designing the suit, they um, got the inspiration from um, Kenny from um, South Park. Park. I think it was like half 2001, half Kenny. Half 2001, oh half God. Kenny. I can totally hilarious. see that now that you say it. But it's, that's Lots of a... South Park references. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Well, two. Two. <laughs> we Lots of them. We had a Cartman in Millions and now a Kenny in Sunshine. Yeah. Keep our so eyes funny. out in Slumdog. Yep. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on Slumdog. It's possible. That's true. Um, yeah, I do. The, the suits... When, I, when you first see the suits, what you see is how gold they are, which I mm. kind of liked because yeah. it looks very different from any suit I've ever yeah, seen. Cause yeah, because I think in a lot of um, sci-fi films, the color palette tends to be very like clinical. So yeah. either like silver or white yeah. or gray, whereas in this film, there's like a very contrast warm. between yeah, like golden colors and like yeah. stark. White, clean. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, and there's all the greens as well. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah I, I like the color of them. The physicality of them did look a little bit silly to me, but most, most like spacesuits, it's hard to kind of not look a bit silly in them sometimes. Yeah. But the heads were so big, which you can appreciate practically is to do with the sun and to do with mm. you know, the heat and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, but it did make some of the action a little bit cumbersome. Right. Um, for me, anyway. So releases the airlock. The three crew members rocket into space. Harvey misses the airlock and freezes to death because someone always has to freeze to death <laughs> in the space film. Uh, while Kappa and Mace make it back to Icarus 2, Cell, having spent the mission, mission obsessed with looking into the sun, voluntarily exposes himself to its full deadly force in the observation room. I like the shot of his arm shattering mm. and it, his blood yeah. like looks like red glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, we got our Captain Harvey and then we dispatched with him pretty quickly because no one cares about <laughs> this guy. He's annoying. He's like, oh, I see how it is. I'm the one staying behind. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Chris Evans just gets some little veiny red, blue hand. Or yeah. yeah. Seconds, but it's fucking Chris Evans. He's fine. Um, all right. I'm just going to double check my notes now before I move into the next section of the film. Has anyone got any notes so far? Uh, no. I just oh, have yeah. written down, when did Chris Evans shave? What did he shave? Um, I mean, I do want to talk about the visuals of it. Mm. Um, it's this is a really pretty film. Um, yeah, I think it's a very pretty film. I think its depiction of obviously, you know, the theme of heat and the sun in it and stuff, and how they have to show space is one of my favorite interpretations of space in film in film history. I think just in terms of. Like when they have to watch Mercury and the way they're kind of using it's not being too shaky on purpose, it's not being too blurry on purpose mm-hmm. or too much uh, flare or anything, mm. but it's just enough of everything to make it feel like it's got texture and make it feel tangible and threatening. Mm. Um, and I really, really love it. I think it's a gorgeous film. There's a lot of use of reflections in it and mm-hmm. a lot of use of refracting through things. And um, I feel you're constantly aware of, yeah, just like 
as we've seen just now, just the sweatiness of it and <laughs> and the panic of lack of air and yeah, it, it gets you into that stifled mindset really well. I think just through mm. the visuals. Um, we can certainly talk about the music a bit later, but yeah, yeah it definitely has a very strong aesthetics, which is um, which feels quite timeless as well. Um, of the CGI doesn't feel aged much. No, it looks and great. It's, you know, it's like over ten years ago. Just, yeah. just something, yeah. Well, around ten years, ten, ten, yeah. So. Which is, yeah, great. And also the design of the suit and stuff as well. It's not because it's not what we see in our everyday lives. It kind of feels. It has that kind of weird retro, like slash timeless, futuristic, yeah, um, thing going on, which is really cool. They have, um, when they go outside to try and fix the panels, they have those cool light beacons as well, which yeah, are like, the that are just yeah, like... Yeah, they kind of float up. There are a few nice... Like, like, there aren't tons of them, but they're just enough of those cool new visual ideas mm-hmm. of how to interpret the space of space. Um, <laughs> that, it, yeah, it works well for me. Yeah. Um, and Danny Boyle, we haven't really talked about it before in, in the other movies, but definitely a, a constant trope for him in all his films are these diagonal camera angles that yeah. he likes doing and he does it a lot in this film yeah there are a lot of diagonals yeah. um and sort of strange wonky setups of things mm-hmm. which i think works much better here he was doing it in millions which <laughs> right. didn't really feel it felt very out of place yeah. but well, it works well in that? this because you know the ground is not relative anymore yeah. there yeah. isn't a strict relation of which way the camera should yeah. be and he did that quite a lot in the beach as well but again like it was about a guy kind of going a bit crazy and stuff so it kind of worked with his psyche yeah that's true yep 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 um corazon calculates that there is enough oxygen left for four of the five survivors to reach the sun so after contentious vote mace decides to kill trey in a vote where i love that chris evans comes out and says no we have to all like agree on this <laughs> and then she doesn't agree so he's <laughs> like all right you fuck you <laughs> in an american vote <laughs> Um, <laughs> Mace decides to kill Trey but discovers Trey to have already committed suicide Kappa learns of a stowaway on board so this is a big moment in the film mm-hmm. and I remembered like when I think back on this film I always remember maybe three things one is the final shot another is the thing I don't like about it that is we've hinted to but I'll get to properly later and another is this moment because this is kind of the twist I guess mm-hmm. in the film because up until this point it's been almost a psychological horror yep. I feel like it is very much about the sun and their proximity to it and if they can get through just space and mm-hmm. the trials and tribulations that that gives mm-hmm. and the heat and the lack of oxygen and all these things and each other. Um, but then you have this cool moment, which I remember being really impactful um, with Killian Murphy and, uh, sorry, what's the ship called again? Icarus. Icarus, yeah. Uh, and he's speaking to Icarus and then Icarus says there's not enough air basically for them to... Uh, deliver the payload and he says we calculate that there was enough for four and Icarus says yes there is enough for four but there are five people on board um, and it is a really cool moment Alison yes it's your first time watching this film did you see that kind of thing coming did it have an effect on you did you get any shivers as I'm sure it was meant to um, did not get shivers necessarily just because in my head I was assuming it was what's his face who closes the panel Hero. I had assumed you thought it was the original captain somehow yeah that it was like someone who we assumed was gone but somehow managed to find a way to get in so you thought it might be a nice thing rather than a bad thing oh interesting Mm. yeah 
You're a positive thinker. Um, does it still work for you, Haruka? Um, yeah, I think so. I remember finding it really like spine chilling. The way, like, also because the way like Killian Murphy delivered that moment was quite like subtle, but mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, um, very like downplay, yeah. but yet very like suspenseful. Um, and yeah, I think it still worked for me. I think again, it's like you're saying, it's, it's the fact that if the year uh, recorded, of course, in on set mm-hmm. gives you that conversational quality that you need for a scene like that yeah, so badly. Because it's the casual way she says, there are five people mm-hmm. on board. And then he's like, who is the fifth person? Yeah. It says un- unknown. Yeah. And for me, like, yeah, it still gave me, it actually still did get a shiver. Like mm-hmm. when she says there are five people on board. Because it's the kind of thing as a filmmaker you dream of being able to contrive mm-hmm. is, is working towards that. And mm-hmm. there's so much setup you have to do to get to that point mm. to be able to deliver a little twist like that that's really satisfying and chilling um my problem though is then he asks like where is this per- mm. person and immediately says where which to me then makes it less scary because it places right. them somewhere and you can just right. go and deal with it for me it'd be more scary if it's like where is this person it'd be also like unknown or whatever kind of mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. um so that just that sudden realization of shit there's something else on board mm. which is such a classic space yeah. you know space film yeah and what i love is the line when they go into icarus one um i think it's mace who says something like oh why if we get picked off one by one by aliens yeah. which yeah. was a clear nod to like yeah. alien and to let you know that it's not going to be that movie yeah like which i think is great yeah like, we're smarter than that we're mm-hmm. not going to be we're not going to surprise you suddenly with a bunch yeah. of creatures running around <laughs> but it, it's kind of what happens it is kind of what happens yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's great. yeah my problem yeah. um but for that moment, like for me, like for me, up until this point, the film is really, really great. Um, uh, my only real problem with it up until this point is I do find it a little bit. I find it a little bit hollow. Like I love mm-hmm. visually what it's doing. I love, um, like I enjoy the characters. I like the narrative of it. Um, but I'm not really emotionally attached enough to anyone. That's just right. me speaking for me. That's why I was asking you guys at the beginning who you're liking. Because, like, I'm liking Rose Byrne, but she doesn't have enough screen presence mm-hmm. or screen time, I mean, mm-hmm. for me to really know about her. And I forget about her quite often. Yeah. Um, and I love Hiro, but they dispatch of him very quickly. So I'm left with Killian, who I'm on this watching, I really wasn't liking. And mm-hmm. the rest, who I just don't really care about. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my problem. was like, well, I'm enjoying the story, but I don't know who I'm rooting for. Um, but other yeah, than that, I, I really like it up until this point <laughs> and then they do this cool twist and i really like it a lot mm-hmm. because the horror fan in me wants something twisted to suddenly happen and suddenly right. they have oh fuck there's something else going on mm-hmm. and i do remember the first time i watched it i thought what have they thought of that i hadn't thought of like what are they going to pull out of the bag that's going to be completely twist everything on its head kind of thing um okay so what happens next anyone else want to recap <laughs> when the ship hits the fan the ship the, the ship and the shit hits the fan <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> so after Kepler learns of a stowaway on board he heads to the observation room which is where he's told by Icarus that he is and he discovers an insane pinbacker which sounds like a type of pig or something um, <laughs> naked yeah completely well, burned and naked yeah naked. so here we do start the um, accelerated style of filming I guess, like, and editing and post. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. they fucking nail it. Like, I think mm. I've never seen a film try and obscure someone for so long and do such a good job of obscuring someone through blurry images, out-of-focus images, duplicating, like, reflections of images, 
haziness, like yeah. quick cuts so effectively. I think it's actually a masterful post-production that was mm. done on this. Um, because he's on screen a lot, Pimbacker, mm-hmm. but you never do really see him that clearly. Yeah, the most you see is his eyes and his mouth mm. when they're looking through at each other through the tiny window in the door. Yeah, yeah. Um, and does he really, like in this scene where he first finds him, he does he have like a little diatribe? Does he explain what he's doing? Um, he brings up God again. Yeah. He keeps talking about this yeah. relationship he's developed with God in the oh, last yeah. scene. The first time, like, Killian Murphy discovers Pimbaka, Pimbaka asks him if he's God. And then, yeah, oh, they yeah, have he this says, dialogue. Are you an angel? Oh, yeah, oh, you're yeah. an angel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Killian Murphy's like, My God, Pimbaka. And then <laughs> yeah. Pimbaka goes, Your God, <laughs> my God, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, like, Religious, religion. So Pinbacker attacks Gaffer, traps him in an airlock. He then kills Corazon and removes the mainframe from its coolant bath, shutting down the computer. For a crazy person, he does know his way around the ships. Well, he was a <laughs> captain <laughs> of Icarus One. So uh, Pinbacker pursues Cassie, who flees into the bomb payload, uh, which is a very cool, weird sort of cube. It looks like mm. spoilers for the end of Cube. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. Yeah. But remember the Ender Cube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's it's, it like is that. a cube, like literally, literally a cube, yeah. yeah. Um, Mace attempts to manually lower the computer back into the freezing coolant, but when his leg catches on the descending computer, he becomes trapped and the computer is disabled. And he then freezes to death. Not a death befitting. Number two, <laughs> frozen. Uh, he radios Kappa to escape the airlock, decouple the bomb from the ship, and activate it as it clump- plummets into the sun, delivering the payload to its destination. So, here's something I want more of in space films, and I always relish it when they do it. And he sort of does it here. They don't necessarily show it in the best way. But I want... So, films of people stuck in space is basically films about scientists. Mm-hmm. And scientists are very, very super smart people. Yep. I like to see it when they use lateral thinking to figure out scientific ways out of horror situations, you know. Mm. And they don't do it enough because screenwriters aren't that smart normally. They can be very <laughs> right. talented at screenwriting, but yeah. they're not normally that scientifically, right. you know, genius. Right, right. Um, and he does something here that's kind of not the smartest, but it's kind of cool in terms of, well, how do you get out of an airlock room? And I like that kind of thing of how do you get out of a room with an airlock and what He puts on the suit. And then he drills like the hole to do the pressure point. Mm-hmm. And then he unbolts the other door. So then once it unlatches, it's going to suction out mm-hmm. the other door and then waits for it to settle so then you can get like through there. And it's a cool moment. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. And it's the only time you really see him working like a physicist properly. Right. Uh, for, for the situation of mm-hmm. danger that's going on, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so it's, it, uh, you find this ending scary, thrilling, exciting, action-y? Not scary. It is thrilling. Um, and it is, I agree, it is kind of the only time that you see him really putting his brain to work. Because you hear about it the whole time and they're always like, oh no, Kappa's the only one who knows how to do it. We mm. need him. He'll be the one to make this decision. He's the physicist. But you never really see him do anything regarding that or talk about it. Mm. Which is fine because if, I mean, I'm not the most scientific person. So a lot of that talk just goes right over my head. And I would imagine not everybody in the audience would understand it either. But Usually, I would imagine usually you put little bits in here and there to kind of show it along the way. Other mm-hmm. than 
other people saying, no, we need him. He's the only one who he's can smart. do it. He's smart. He's smart. We swear. <laughs> In ways, he's like, shh. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Just stares blankly with a suit on. <laughs> but yeah, I like the moment. I think it's very exciting and I like the music with it and yeah, the music really well done. The music is great. Yeah. In the film. And the sound design is just great in the mm-hmm. film. Um, I have a bit like put down. You can hear yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of it. I have a bit put down here in uh, when Cap, um, and by Cap I mean Chris Evans, goes <laughs> into the coolant at the end of the film. There's this crazy sound design on it. Do you remember mm-hmm. when the camera's like underwater and it just distorts and just goes mm-hmm. and it's just barraging you? It's mm-hmm. really fucking cool. really love it. Um, so then yeah he escapes uh he separates the bomb from the ship enters the payload where he finds cassie who again i'd forgotten about rosebud <laughs> I, completely he, like, finds I knew her, she oh, was yeah. still there just because they like show her running over there and opening mm, the payload right and then just when his face shows up you see her handprint on the side oh is that mm-hmm. her handprint I think oh. so. I think so. His yeah. hand wasn't there. Oh, I see. I yeah. thought it was showing the audience the baddies already in this area. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Maybe um, it was his. I don't know. Pinbacker then. hers, yeah. You think it's hers? Yeah. That would make more sense because he should see it. And it'd be like, why would he go there so yeah. confidently if he thinks the baddies are? Uh, Pinbacker ambushes them, telling them God ordered him to send all humanity to heaven. Uh, doesn't he always? As they hurtle <laughs> into the sun, Kappa escapes Pinbacker, reaching the bomb controls. So they escape him by ripping his skin off of his arm. Yep. Mm. <laughs> You're wrinkling it in there. <laughs> <laughs> I've written down here in my notes. Of, cool moment. Pull the skin off cool. the arm. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like, they do that a little bit after the first... When is it? I wrote it down. I can't remember any of their names, but he's like pulling a little yeah, bit of so, skin off I his think. forehead. Oh, yeah, yeah. He just yeah, kind of so. it off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's um, all sunburnt. Yep. <laughs> you, you look romantically. <laughs> um, and this is where Danny Boyle uses another one of his trademark things where he starts using freeze frames at the end of right. almost mm-hmm. all the shots uh, for a little bit. And he also fucks with the aspect ratio. Do you see this? But not just for the aspect ratio, he distorts them so they're not. It's like you press that button on mm. your TV where they go to the wrong size yeah, so they look yeah. too thin or too fat. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. yeah. No, I noticed there was something weird going on with the aspect ratio. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but it works, I think, for that scene. It's because it's a crazy, weird scene. Yeah, it? I mean, yeah. the whole thing is like rushing towards the sun at a crazy speed and, yeah. you know, space, time, yep. whatever. <laughs> Science, <I'm> works. <laughs> Science works. Science works. <laughs> We're going to get to the end of this and then I'm going to go back a little bit because sure. I want to yeah, talk about each of us, or any of our problems or things that we particularly love. Um, as they hurtle into sound, Kappa escapes from Becca, reaches bomb controls, not sure if it will work under these extreme conditions. He watches as the bomb begins to successfully ignite in a very beautiful scene. Oh, yeah. Because there's little sparks going off. Yeah. Um, at the edge of the sun itself. So that is, is that what happens in the room there? I've always been confused. Because you see the sun sort of come into the mm-hmm. room and then it stops just in front of me. Is that just meant to be like time is slowing in his head? I th- yeah. With I think that it's moment? supposed to be a metaphorical. Because he's kind of yeah. also thinking, you see his dream that he had been having yeah. as well yeah. leading up to that. So I just assumed it was us being in his head. Okay. Yeah, that's how I that's saw good. it. That's how I was as well. I just want to make sure it wasn't literally the sun was in the room and stopped right there. <laughs> I mean, there. it could have been because who knows what happens on that scale of, you know, um, nuclear explosion. But yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. 
back on Earth on the frozen Sydney Harbour, Kappa's sister witnesses the sun returning to its full power. Boop, 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 boop. Um, That's what it sounds like too. Yeah. That is the sound <laughs> of the charging sun. Is excellent. You just got to plug it in. <laughs> so, okay, have a look for your notes. I want to hear any particular things that we haven't talked about yet that you didn't like, that you did like. I have a couple, but I've been talking too much. I did note, which we kind of had a conversation like this at dinner the other night, but when they're going around the table and deciding whether or not to kill Trey they bring up the question that is like the typical cliched question of do we save one person or do we save all of mankind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which we had a i mean you can always have a long discussion about that but yeah it's always an interesting question to bring into play i think yeah i do like that so many of them are thinking the right way which is this is a mission to save humanity it's the mm-hmm. only time we get to do that there isn't a question about if we should kill one person to save humanity or not. Yeah. Like that's a Unless must. you're Roseburn. Unless you're <laughs> <laughs> Oh, isn't she adorable? I know, she's so sweet. I, I do really like as well when they first get to Icarus One and they use the torchlight shining across the lens and then they put in little flashes, flashes of, of images. Yeah, yeah. Of, yeah that was uh, the fight club going on. Yeah. 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 The first one that I saw, I had been looking down and I looked up right as it happened and I just assumed it was like a mistake and I was just seeing things because it is... It's when yeah. the flashlight crosses over the yeah, lens, I guess. you just get one frame. And I was like, oh, no, I must have just, like, seen something weird right as I looked up and then it kept happening. Right. Like, oh, that's very cool. Yeah. I like it. I like it. It was a nice um, little Danny Boyle moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Haruka, things you particularly like, don't like? Um, I love everything apart from that one thing that I'm sure you're going to mention, which is the, you know, the gear shifts, which, yeah. I'm never a fan of like big gear change in films. Like I remember when I watched them um, uh, from *Dust Till Dawn*, I got very offended because I didn't <laughs> like the. <laughs> I felt betrayed. That's the whole point of that film. I know, I know. Like, the but, entire point of *From Dust Till Dawn* well, is it changes genres. I was like 16 when I watched it, so I was <laughs> still naive and wasn't aware of it. Was my first like indie okay. B movie experience. So anyway. But yeah, so when I, I remember when I first watched it, I didn't really, I liked that shift, but I didn't like the way they portrayed Pimbaka, mm-hmm. like the whole blurry thing and his voice, like the way they put the effect on his voice and the way he's portrayed. And I thought his lines, some of his lines were really cool, like about, you know, stardust and stuff, but mm-hmm. then it also felt quite contrived. Um, and yeah, I still felt the same way. Um, but you still around. love it despite? I do, yeah. Because, okay. you know, I, I appreciate a bit of fault in anything and it makes it charming. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How Did you have any problem with Pinback? Are you quite happy with it? Did it seem natural finale for you? It is definitely a big shift just because it, there's not really any horror moments up until that point for me anyway. But I think I'm okay with it just because, one, we know he is was the captain of the first ship Mm. and two he's still referencing human things Mm. like he's talking about god and his relationship that he's building and it's like the first thing he says is are you an angel so he's Mm. clearly still human like but they definitely treat him kind of monsterish in the way he looks and all of that but i think because of his lines and because of them understanding who he is immediately still keeps him human for me okay 
that's interesting so you're kind of more from just an intelligent point of if it works as a story point and as a character in the story it can work for you kind of thing yeah yeah i i and i remember very distinctly when i first came out of this film really loving it and we hadn't had too many um space films at that point like mm-hmm. now there's one every year that's huge um so we are oversaturated now so i am a bit more bored of the action you can have in space but at the time it was you know it was very exciting to see that kind of thing portrayed so beautifully mm-hmm. um and then it got to pinbacker and i remember coming up so disappointed because i liked how intelligently it was a space film without aliens and a space mm-hmm. film without like a big evil protagonist and this is from someone who you know i love jason films and he basically becomes like a jason at the end right. of this movie and walks around and stalks yeah. everyone it starts off as a site like a, a space film and it turns into a bit of a monster yeah it's like yeah. jason x but done well it's like a slasher film basically by the end which it should be exactly what i want but it's it, <laughs> this is a smart film um and not a dumb fun film so i kind of my problem with the end is i don't find it scary and i don't find it fun um i find him and this is what I was trying to say before. I think they do. I'm watching it this time with a critical eye and a filmmaker's mm-hmm. eye. I think they do everything they can to make him work. Like, mm-hmm. they really do. Mm-hmm. I think what they actually do with post-production and lens stuff is incredible. Mm-hmm. He just still doesn't work for me. He's still, yeah, his voice, the way he moves, just the idea of him, it's kind of silly to me. Um, and just over the top, it feels very forced of, mm-hmm. oh, it's not enough that we're inches from the sun trying to detonate an atomic bomb. <laughs> we need to throw in a guy. <laughs> <laughs> just running around <laughs> trying to kill you like burned and yeah and for me it's like well we don't need a guy running around trying to kill mm-hmm. there's enough going on the stakes are high enough anyway mm-hmm. and there's stakes that i feel matter more than this guy like i don't see why i should give a shit okay it's mm-hmm. a crazy guy fine who cares mm-hmm. um and it's a thing that we're talking about this when we're making our film of the problem with me is that you have one single frame where you do see him and i mean one frame they can do all the blurriness they want but you have one frame where you do see him and it doesn't work you do see it as an audience subconsciously you see that image and for me it's like right at the beginning when you first see the video feed with him and it just looks silly like it mm-hmm. just doesn't look right like it looks good most of the time because it's garbled and then you see a frame of him mm-hmm. and it's in my head and I'm like oh he looks fake and silly yeah mm-hmm. um so it really kind of i don't say it ruins the film for me but it does ruin the ending for me mm-hmm. because there's a great ending there and i feel you could almost edit around him even mm-hmm. <laughs> just of them trying to get to detonate the bomb mm-hmm and being more emotional with that um yeah and it kind of it yeah. does, it, it does i mean it's an bit. interesting you know way of telling the story because like especially after watching millions which was a very positively religious film now yeah. we have this like antagonist who is the religious one mm-hmm. yeah. and then we have the scientists who who i mean he's also a scientist as well the baddie but like you know so that's but then it's all it's about the bleakness of life and you know in in the face of the sun which is this like ultimate you know yeah well it is a god in a way like yeah it provides life oh yeah, yeah absolutely so you know it's an interesting topic to um bring into i think yeah but i just didn't I think that's like an the way interesting way to do it yeah yeah they could have made it more yeah yeah i don't know uh, yeah, I feel there's very different ways from just a guy running around trying to stab them, like it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. with with a weird little like the vibrating blade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is strange. I don't understand the, why the what does it do? Necessary. Why don't they have better <laughs> <it's a> little <laughs> tiny knife? Why does it have to vibrate? Um, <laughs> and I have one other big problem with this film, which is I don't know if you guys can guess what it is. It's right at the end of the movie. Um, Happy ending. It is the, the last sun. shot of this movie that that ties into the beginning of the movie. So there's 
I also remember when this film came out, a lot of critics talking about part of the problem in Hollywood at that point, um, or just American films to do with ecological disasters, because it was really mm. at a point where ecological disasters would come to the forefront of people's minds yet again. And then we have films like The Core. Do you remember that movie? No. Where they have to, like, they find out the core oh, of the yeah, earth yeah, is dying yeah, yeah, yeah. and they have to dig to the core of the earth. And how do you start the core again of the earth? You shove atom bombs yep. into it. And was it was it? the same basic setup for this, obviously. It's like, and Armageddon and as well? Well, Armageddon, was yeah, it? there was some, but it was more, they were mining as well. But yeah, there's a bit of that. Um, and with this one, it's the same thing again of, well, you're American. How do you... <laughs> How do you sort out the sun dying? You put atom bombs in it and blow it up. <laughs> and that'll make everything okay. Just chuck bombs at it and it'll be fine. <laughs> Which is, it, there's like, yeah, this whole piece is written about this fascination that America has. Mm. And a lot of people get into um, um, dumb stuff where they actually think it's propaganda. And they think it's actually <laughs> purposely put into Hollywood films to get in people's brains of like, violence and war is the solution to any problem yeah i don't think it is i just think it's how people's brains think when they're writing a screenplay uh, so with all due respect to alex garland or whoever like might have put that idea in his head to begin with the very basic principle of this movie i have a huge problem with interesting um because it's dumb <laughs> and it's it may have some basis in science but it also proliferates something that i really hate which is just yeah chuck some nuclear bombs at the mm. problem and it will be fine and I would have, I remember when I first saw this film, loving it, thinking about that in the back of my head, but thinking, well, it's not going to work. Clearly they're going to do it and it won't work. And then you get the ending with Pinbacker, which had me disappointed. And then you get his sister down there waiting and waiting and waiting. And I thought it's not going to happen or the sun's actually going to go out or something else. Yeah. And no, instead what we get is the trademark Disney blanket, <laughs> which they used to do at this point at the end of all their films where bad things happen and then you press a button and everything's reversed and you literally get, you know, all the flowers suddenly grow back as a blanket of sunshine goes across the world and everything's wonderful and Disney again, but, which is literally what we get at the end of this film. But then everyone's dead. All the characters <laughs> we cared about are dead. That is true. That is true. My only question about the end bit was like, I didn't realise that Kappa's sister um lived in australia yeah you see the shot of the opera house yeah, yeah, yeah in yeah. sydney i was like oh why, why is it in sydney yeah, maybe, yeah. I I think maybe i'm fled to the warmest place or something yeah, yeah. i assume they'd done it just to show look at all the snow surroundings yeah right, really right, right. like yeah. what's something really iconic that everyone will recognize that's and it'll be very weird hot. to right. see <laughs> yeah Interesting. i think that's literally the only reason mm. yeah so yeah, that just the principle of A, nuclear bombs working and B, just that blanket shot really pisses me off to be the last shot of this movie. I feel it's like, <laughs> mm. it's, yeah, it's too Disney and it's too American and it's too cheesy for me. Is it an American film? Because I know it was shot in England. I don't know. By I know it's a very American trope. Right, right. But yeah, just uh, to have that reset button and everything's okay. And it's like, and even if everything was going to be okay, it's like, well, have something where, you know, it's on the radio or it's on the TV or if something happened and things will be okay in 10 years time or something. Mm. <laughs> Not, oh, the split second. <laughs> it's like, oh, everything's fine again. Mm. Well, but scientifically, the eight minute thing is true. Mm. Yeah, Anything the eight minute thing is true, but yeah. that's of him, like, of them putting the bombs into it for the sun to oh. actually regenerate from uh -huh. those and to, like, get to strength again yeah. where it's going to affect the solar system. That's not going to be instantaneous. Mm, interesting. I like the fact that they kind of referred back to the opening of the film when like Kappa's yeah. talking to his sister mm -hmm. and I, I like that but yeah I just good. wanted some sort of more emotional connection with the eight minutes somehow I don't know how right. but just something where even if like as a sibling you could feel oh she felt 
he had died or something like out there and like I don't just something mm. where it connected him in a different way from oh I know everything's okay because now it's sunny again and everything's <laughs> beautiful and, mm. um, yeah so there you go all right any final thoughts wrap up time how mm. um, Allison yes we were on a kind of upward slump for the most of the time with Danny Boyle you hit a stumbling yes. block with millions I know which was your least favorite Danny Boyle film yeah How's he doing? Is he, is he better than Millions again? Is he on his way up? <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> than Millions? <laughs> fuck. Are we allowed um, to swear on this thing? Yeah, you can do okay. the fuck you want. <laughs> fuck! You can quote Begbie if you want. Oh, oh yeah. Look at you. I'm waiting to see if you'll say cunt or not on the podcast. But you <laughs> <laughs> um, it's okay because I'm quoting a film. <laughs> All right, Alison, sorry. Sorry, do you want to say cunt again? No, I really don't. I okay. hate it. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. You look really uncomfortable right Sitting now. Sitting there hugging your knees I in only, your chest. I only relish it sometimes in America because if there's anything that makes American people more uncomfortable than English people, it's that word. So sometimes <laughs> I enjoy using it in America just to make people go, just oh. Just oh. <laughs> Immediately yep. look down and... Yep. Um, anyway, yes, I do still think we're going on that uphill climb. So you think if you skip out millions, you'd, you're still going upwards? Yeah. You potentially like this more than 28 days later? Um, in my head, they're level right now. Okay. So I'd give, I gave that, and Beach was 8, and I think, so 8.5 for 28 days later. So this would be an 8 or 8.5 for me. Nice. Mm. So the older he gets, he's not losing it so far. That's, no. I mean, that's Everyone great as a director. Up. Yeah, so millions a, is just, you know, his one little. Yeah, a little Look up. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And Haruka. Yeah, I mean, I've seen this film so many times. Um, but yeah, I still wasn't bored um, watching it. I still love the music. It's probably one of my favorite film scores of all time. Um, it's beautiful. I still care about the characters. Yeah, still has it. I love it. What would you give it? Considering you gave <sighs> Trainspotting a nine. And if this could right. be better than Trainspotting. I mean, I would have given, given it a ten. Ooh, um, if it wasn't for Pitmaka, um, <laughs> which I still can't quite get over, um, so I think I'll give it a nine point five. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. I like I like high schools. People already give them. It makes me happy. There's nothing mean to anything about high school. Yeah. Um, if this film didn't have those things I hate about it at the end, I think it's technically his best film. It's, so here's the thing we haven't really talked about that I do just quickly want to touch on. This doesn't feel like a Danny Boyle film to me. No. Mm. Not in the slightest. This feels like the least Danny Boyle of all of his films. True. There's True. only a few little Danny Boyle flourishes. It's actually quite traditional in how it's shot. Um, and there's no contemporary music really in it. Mm -hmm. Like There's no songs, which I thought he would have put them playing like yeah. some songs and when they're up there in space hanging out or something. Mm. Very true. Um so it's kind of weird. As a Danny Boyle film, it's strange to see him do something very, very different, um, very much more patient. Not doesn't have a sense of humor in it either. Mm -hmm. None of his shock value or anything like that, yeah. other than the skin, I guess, coming off the arm. But um, so I, I I appreciate it a lot technically, and I think it's really beautiful. It has lost a bit. Like the stuff I like about it, I like a little bit less now, just because I've seen so many very good space films over the last ten years. Mm -hmm. um, and the stuff I don't like about it still remains, um, to be honest. So even if it didn't have those, I don't think I would still like it as much as I do 28 Days Later and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
as it stands, I think it's a great film uh, with a few problems. I think it's a very beautiful film. Um, and yeah, definitely his most just accomplished in terms of technicality and mm. stuff like that. So I would give it, I can't remember what I gave other stuff, so I'm just going to give this one blindly. Um, I'd give it an eight, I think. Mm. An eight. Um, it certainly doesn't come near train spotting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like 28 Days Later more than this one for sure. Mm. There you go. Very good. Sunshine. Next time, we're back with his Oscar winner, Slumdog Millionaire. Wow. Certainly his biggest and most known film. The only film Allison's seen out of all of these. Yes. I haven't revisited this since the first time I saw it at cinema. Me neither. Yeah, me neither. Nobody else? Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Nope. I'm actually going to go back with open arms. I was a little bit snarky about it when it first came out because <laughs> it just didn't look like a Danny Wolf Yeah, film. yeah, same, same for me. But we'll see. We will see. Um, you can follow us, please, on the iTunes. You type in We Are Geeks. We Are Geeks. And we'll pop right up. You can subscribe. You can leave us a little message. Um, you can leave us star ratings. But subscribing really does help us out. So thank you, thank you. Thank um, you. Thank <laughs> you. Every Tuesday we have our regular geeks. Well, almost every Tuesday. We've missed a couple recently. I apologize. But every Tuesday we have our regular geeks podcast up where we talk about uh, movies and video games and news and stuff. Uh, you can also head over to wearetessellate.com. We are tessellate two S's, two L's, like the Alt J song, dot com. And that was not a full URL. We are tessellate like the Alt J song. <laughs> Um, and there you can watch our movies uh, we well short films and you listen to some of our music we are a production company ran out of LA London and Tokyo we make movies and things we just finished making our first feature film called Starfish that we're in post production on and we're going to be talking more about that soon on the podcast and in other formats Um, so head over to our YouTube and subscribe there and you'll get to see some video stuff on it Um, I'm Mr. Al White on all the social medias Haruka I'm Haruka Abe on Twitter and Facebook and Haru dot Haru no Ruka dot Haru <laughs> sorry <laughs> by the I end of it. this series Fuck. you're gonna get it right yeah it's Ruka dot Haruka on Instagram which is my favorite Ali Son <laughs> I am Ali Sue on Instagram Ali Son is Ali Sue Ali Son is Ali Sue correct and this podcast goes up every Wednesday and every Saturday yes so enjoy that <laughs> I don't think we're going to do another one of these for a while so soak it up but we do have a horror franchise stuff that goes up every single Monday and every Friday so you can enjoy that in the meantime we'll be back with Slumdog Millionaire and we're out bye laters